0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. The scent of Apple's WWDC is in the air, and so are the rumors of new products and services from Apple. We'll have a look at what might be coming. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long.
1: Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. Are you excited, Josh? Oh, about WWDC being next week? Yes, Monday.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of cool. I, I know we talked last week, and you were really not looking forward to it. You're well, kind of jaded at this I'm point. I'm not
1: particularly interested in getting a handful of new features for the operating systems. I am more interested in potential new hardware. And we've got an article in Apple Insider that suggesting that there may be new airport routers. now. They're saying they wouldn't come out until November, but it would be interesting. Apple discontinued airport devices in April 2018, so it's been four years. And back then, we discussed about how Apple was really missing the boat on Wi-Fi. In fact, I'll link to an article I wrote on the Intego Max Security blog back then. The idea of them coming up with new airport routers, now that mesh Wi-Fi is commonplace, Just makes me think that you've got your airport router and your HomePod mini and your Apple TV, and they all contribute to the mesh. And that would be such a great way for Apple to sell devices that aren't just sitting there for Wi-Fi, but that also do something else. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. And,
2: and, you know, the HomePod actually has been a fairly popular product. HomePod Mini, of course, now is the only model you can get. You can't get the original HomePod anymore. But the Mini even it has
1: still been a pretty popular product. So, you know, maybe this is a way that Apple can sell some more of them. So the other part of the rumor we're seeing in this article is a redesigned version of Time Machine that integrates with iCloud Drive. Now, think about that. If you use Time Machine to back up your Mac, you connect a drive, and I can see right now that there's an hourly backup going on, and I use two drives. You can use multiple Time Machine drives, and I'm sure that all my data gets backed up. If you were doing this to iCloud Drive, there are some advantages. It means if you have a laptop and you're not, at home or at your office, you might still be able to back up depending on your bandwidth. Of course, the disadvantage is it depends on bandwidth. I've got gigabit fiber. I know you have pretty quick fiber now as well. So we would be able to do it, but not for really big files. I mean, I use Backblaze as another backup service, and I see when it runs, and there's a lot of data that goes. So it's not necessarily ideal. I was chatting with our producer, Doug, before we started. And I was saying, I would love that Time Machine would have multiple backup options. So I've got, as I said, two redundant Time Machine disks, eight terabytes, and everything copies to them. I would like to have another one that only copies files from my home folder right? That you can exclude files from your time machine backup, but it's on all the disks. I would like to have multiple time machines that would allow me to have different types of backups. So for example, I could have a a one terabyte SSD backing up my home folder, and that way it would not only be an additional backup, but it'd be a small portable backup, etc. But iCloud time machine, the problem is you know, for for some people, that's going to be a lot of storage, and you can only buy up to four terabytes of, of iCloud storage. The two big challenges here, like you said, are are bandwidth, because a lot of people really don't
2: have a lot of upstream bandwidth. Um, you know, unless you have fiber. If you, a lot of people have cable, for example, maybe you even don't even have cable in your area. Maybe you're just using DSL or something. Regardless, a lot of people really have slow upstream bandwidth, which means that it's going to take a very long time if you're uploading gigabytes of data to try to back that up to the cloud, regardless of what backup service you're using, whether it's Backblaze, whether it's this theoretical iCloud time machine, that's a big problem. Now, it's mostly a big problem if you're initially uploading things, you know, once you have most of your stuff uploaded, it's probably not that big of a deal anymore, but there is a period of time when it's really going to be saturating your upstream bandwidth.
1: It really depends. And yes, your upstream bandwidth is always slower. I've got about a gigabit down and 120 up. So it's always much less up than down, but where it gets really complicated is if you have big files and you change them and they have to upload again. So, I use Backblaze as an additional backup for – I'm a belt and suspenders, an additional belt guy. And whenever I work with my Windows virtual machine, that's 40 gigabytes it has to re-upload. So imagine that if you don't have fiber, and it's in the background, so I don't really care. I think with something like an iCloud time machine, it would have to be limited to, like, not all the files. You would have to be able to exclude individual files. You can do it in the time machine settings, but you'd want to have, as I said, different settings for different uses. If you could have different settings for, for iCloud time machine as you do for local time machine, that makes sense. I just want to correct about the four terabyte storage. You can only have four terabytes if you have an Apple One subscription where you can buy additional storage. If not, you're limited to two terabytes. It's 10 bucks a month. Backblaze is $70 a year. So. You're already paying a lot more for Apple. And would this be per computer? Would multiple computers be able to back up to the same iCloud drive? Also, would they be using a sparse image? So, a sparse image is like a disk image, and it's what Time Machine does when it does network backups. Anyone who's ever used a Time Capsule or made network Time Machine backups to a NAS or any other device knows that every now and then you get a message, this, uh, this backup is corrupted, we have to start over. And one of the great things about Time Machine is I have years of backups on multiple drives that every three years I replace my drives and I've got files if I ever need to look that go back five, six years. If you're gonna have your backup frying every year or so, then there's not much point. Of course as a reminder for local backups
2: you can use Time Machine from Apple you can also use Intego's personal backup which is part of Mac Premium Bundle X9 and and those technologies actually do work really well together but having the additional offsite backup with you know something like a potential iCloud time machine could be kind of interesting, might be an interesting way to go for Apple.
1: Okay, one of the other rumors is an always-on lock screen for the iPhone. And this, of course, brings up all sorts of privacy issues. Now, we see this on the Apple Watch, that it's always on. But what happens is when you're not looking at it, certain complications kind of fade away, so you can't see the personal data. I would assume that's going to be the same on the phone, And that when you pick it up and it recognizes your face, then it's going to show you more. But I don't understand why you'd want an always-on screen on the iPhone. Is it just so you can always see your notifications, which pop up anyway if you have them set to come on the lock screen? I'm kind of skeptical. And to be honest, I actually turn
2: on theater mode on my watch every so often if I'm trying to conserve battery. It's not, you know, if I'm going to be wearing it all day, for example, if I'm, you know, going to an amusement park or something like that, I'll maybe charge it once in the middle of the day. I'll take it off, you know, some at some point during the day when I'm just going to be sitting for a while just to to top off, right? If I don't do that, I'm I'm often down to like 30% or below by the end of the day. And, you know, newer watches, I think, have a little bit better battery life, but you can definitely conserve some battery life by just turning on theater mode when you're not really going to be looking at your watch all that much. And that's something that I would be a little bit concerned about with an iPhone. You know, if, if you already have difficulty staying at maximum charge and not everybody will. I mean, you know, some people who are working at a desk can just leave it plugged in as, you know, as often as they're sitting there. But if you have a job where you're actively moving around a lot and if you find that your iPhone battery is draining a lot by the end of the day, maybe this is not something you would necessarily want to have that always on display.
1: Well, one thing to point out is that since they have – now, I forget the name of this wonderful new feature they added to the iPhone where it can change frame rates. Of the display, since they have that it doesn't use a lot of power when nothing's happening, so it's not changing frames it's still using the power to to light up the screen, but it's not updating the screen as often, so it goes up to I think hundred and twenty hertz and it goes down to like one when necessary right the The frame rate thing you were talking about is called promotion that's what that's apple's brand name for it right okay, one other rumor is reality o s reality o s as if what we have now is not reality. I guess they're thinking augmented reality, virtual reality. And apparently, there's been a trademark filing. We'll link to an article on Mac Rumors, but there's an update to the article saying that the trademark filing date deadlines are actually a legal requirement, and their closeness to WWDC is likely mere coincidence. A legal requirement if you want to trademark, but. Uh, we know that Apple is is doing more with augmented reality. And I think the invitation to this year's WWDC highlights some kind of augmented reality. We were discussing before the show what you can actually use this for. And there have been some demonstrations of games. And we'll talk about Apple and gaming after the break. You can look on your iPhone to see what a new Apple product looks like. And every time I do that, right, you know, they have a new Apple product, you go to this page and it's like, the iPhone's like two inches tall compared to other things. And the size is never quite right. It doesn't move very well. The edges where the shadows are don't look very clear. I know we're just at the beginning of all this stuff, but uh, this is probably a technology that is gonna take a long time to develop. Well, okay. So, reality
2: OS, supposedly, the, what this is going to be used for is some future Apple device, some sort of maybe niche augmented reality slash virtual reality headset or something like that. I mean, it would kind of have to be something like that. Otherwise, what's the purpose of it being a full OS? Why call it reality OS, right? So, there's presumably some device that Apple's going to announce at some point. We don't really expect that they're going to say anything about this on on Monday at the keynote, but you know maybe we'll get some more hints at something that might be coming up in the future. Apple actually did accidentally reference reality OS in App Store update logs earlier this year. So there is some sort of confirmation that something like this may be coming, whether it's a, a definite product or whether it's something that You know, maybe Apple's just working on internally.
1: I just can't get this image out of my head of Keanu Reeves and Johnny Mnemonic with that funny little device he had over his eyes there, that virtual reality thing. I hope Apple's device doesn't look like that.
2: There's a lot of problems with wearable VR, AR things. Um, You remember Google Glass when that came out? And um, there was a particular term um, that yeah. people used for, for people who walked around with Google Glass all the time that was um, kind of pejorative. Uh, <laughs> oh, they were a sort of a hole, weren't they? Yeah, something like that. So, you know, I, I I have a feeling that if Apple were to release something like this that goes on your face, that a lot of people are going to have a similar
1: reaction
0: to that kind of thing.
1: Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some interesting hacks.
0: Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Indigo has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Indigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts.
1: So, we like hacks. Not that we like, the crime behind hacks, but we like when they're elegant hacks. We like when someone comes up with something clever in order to hack people. And this is terrible, what has been going on. Hackers have been stealing WhatsApp accounts using call forwarding tricks we'll link to bleeping computer, but it's clever. It's intriguing. The fact that someone figured this out, whereas you could have figured this out years ago. It's just, it seems like it's only now that people have been doing this. Explain what's going on. Okay. So the headline is hackers steal WhatsApp accounts using call forwarding trick.
2: And this sounds pretty bad, right? What it actually is, is something that is based on some really old technology that's kind of always been there with phone networks. And so the trick is, let's say that somebody calls you up and they claim to be from your phone provider. And they tell you that in order to improve line quality, they're going to have you run a test, and so they give you something that you're going to need to hang up and then dial a series of, of codes and then call them back, right? And so they'll tell you, okay, so hang up, dial star, star, six, seven, star, followed by this 10-digit number, and that will uh, relay to us some information that will help us improve your line quality, okay? This is just one example of how this kind of attack could be pulled off. Now, if somebody doesn't know better, uh, they might actually try that. And what would actually happen is that they would be able to get all of your incoming voice calls. Now, what can this be used for? There are a number of services. WhatsApp is actually just one of them, where as a second factor method, you can have them make a phone call to your phone number. Now, in those kind of scenarios, if your number is automatically being forwarded to an attacker's phone number, now they've got your two-factor code because they'll actually receive your call instead of you. And that's kind of a problem. Wouldn't they also get your SMSs? Well, this particular attack only would work for call forwarding. So this wouldn't. Right. Yeah. This wouldn't allow text messages to be forwarded to you, but it would allow phone calls to be forwarded. And, uh, you know, with many different services, uh, WhatsApp, again, it's just one of them. I think Google is another one where you can have uh, a phone call instead of a text message. Uh, And there's a number of other different services too that also have phone calling as one of these two-factor methods. So if they've already verified your phone number, um, even if like normally you just get two-factor codes via SMS, text message, they may also have an option that automatically gets enabled to get your to get two-factor code via a telephone message.
1: Right. I think this is for visually impaired people. They get the code instead of having to read something. Right, exactly. That's one scenario where this is very commonly used. So the takeaway for this is if anyone calls you and tells you to type in some funny codes on your phone, don't do it. Because... You you can't – uh Josh was very cynical before we started recording, said, you can't trust any incoming calls on your phone. And while he's not wrong, I mean, it's kind of sad that we've come to that. But I guess it's true. If someone says they're from your phone company, if someone says they're from your bank, that don't believe they're from your bank. Don't believe they're from Amazon. Hey, here's a quick – thing about Amazon, I ordered a computing device that got delivered today, and in the UK, for things of certain value, they give a one-time code to you that you have to give to the driver. So they send it by email when the device is out for delivery, it's a six-digit code. So imagine that someone managed to get my email and managed to get it delivered to another place and would have the six-digit code. So imagine that someone calls up from Amazon to check that I've got the six-digit code. And actually, it's he's in cahoots with the driver who's going to deliver it to someplace else. And, you know, there's all sorts of possibilities. So, yeah, I guess you're right. Don't trust anyone who calls you on the yeah. phone. Yeah, unfortun- that's the unfortunate reality of today. OK, Zoom has had some security issues, and they seem to date back to April. And they've only just come out in the press. We didn't notice them until uh, just recently. One thing that I found is on my copy of Zoom, I was three versions out of date, even though in the preferences, I had it set to automatically install updates. So we're not going to go into too much detail about the particular vulnerabilities. But if you do use Zoom on a Mac, You should go to the Zoom menu check for updates every once in a while because apparently their auto updater isn't working. Right. And also these vulnerabilities do affect iOS. By default,
2: your iOS apps should automatically update. If you have auto updates turned off, then make sure you go into the App Store. Make sure that Zoom and any other apps that you haven't recently updated are fully up to date.
1: You know, I find with the App Store on iOS... I have auto-updates turned off. We were discussing before the show. Both of us keep them turned off so we can see what's updated in apps. And every once in a while, I'll get a little badge on the App Store icon on my iPhone, my iPad. And sometimes I'll open the App Store. The badge will be three or four. And then when I load the updates page, it's like 15. And... Sometimes there's no badge, and I'll go just to check out of curiosity, and all of a sudden there's 10 updates. So it's a really weird way that they check for updates. You might want to manually check a few times, you know, every couple of days just to make sure. Another note on that, I, I know my wife, for example, has auto updates turned
2: on. And yet I've seen many times when I've gone on, for example, her iPad or something, and and I load the App Store and there's a whole bunch of apps that haven't updated, and sometimes they're weeks old. And I'm always really surprised at that. I'm like, don't you have uh, uh, you know, auto-updates turned on? I check the setting. Yeah, it's enabled, but for some reason, they're not auto-updating. So, so it's definitely a good idea
1: to go in and check every once in a while just to make sure. Okay, so you wanted to talk about this article that says that Apple earned the third most gaming revenue in 2021, outpacing Microsoft and Nintendo. And my first thought is, well, come on, it's not Apple selling these games. It's not Apple's games. They're selling other people's games. So they've got all this revenue, which actually isn't theirs. If they're giving 70% or 85% to developers, then it really doesn't fit. But on the other hand, when you look at Microsoft, they're selling other companies' games, and Google's selling other companies' games. And Tencent, they make some games of their own. I think they're... They own a lot of Fortnite as well as other games. So I think the way it's calculated isn't really very helpful here. Right. Okay. so this is
2: interesting. But to your point, I think it's not necessarily that these companies are making games. So the the list includes in order – the top eight on the list are Tencent, Sony, Apple, Microsoft, Google, NetEase, which I've never heard of. Activision Blizzard, which actually just recently got acquired by Microsoft, and Nintendo is at the bottom of the list, tied with Activision Blizzard. So that list might be surprising to you, especially once you look at the numbers. So Apple's in third place at $15 billion, And this is an estimate, of course, because Apple doesn't actually break out their revenue this way. But $15 billion, that's a lot of money that Apple's making. Now, like Sony and Google, Microsoft, some of these companies are mostly doing the same thing that Apple is doing, right? They, you know, Google... As far as I know, they're not really doing a whole lot in making their own games. Maybe they are, and I'm just not aware of it. But I think probably
1: most of their gaming revenue is similar to how Apple's making their revenue right from mobile apps. So if you put Microsoft together with Activision Blizzard, that puts Microsoft in second place. Ten cent, thirty-two point two billion. That would put Microsoft at twenty-one billion, Sony at eighteen point two, and Apple fourth at fifteen point three. That's a huge acquisition for Microsoft. Yeah, well, it cost a lot of money though, <laughs>
2: and and we're not likely to see that shift until sometime next year. But you know, the, the percentage year-over-year change is also kind of interesting. Apple, Google, and then NetEase are are a few companies that actually went up in double digits. And Sony actually went down a little bit, although they made a pretty big acquisition recently. Uh, they acquired Bungie, which, of course, famously developed Halo and uh, more recently they developed Destiny. So Sony actually, I, I expect that both Sony and Microsoft will go up next year due to their acquisitions. But still, even if Apple's like in fourth place, that's that's kind of surprising. I mean, Apple Arcade is not like that popular, really. It doesn't have, like, really big-name games that everyone's familiar with. You know why Tencent is in the lead? Well, yeah. A couple of their really big games right now are League of Legends and PUBG Mobile. Uh, That's one big reason why they're in the lead, I think.
1: Well, the other big reason is they're a Chinese company, and they're selling in the Chinese market. So... They have an incredibly huge market. Right, right. That's true. And Tencent
2: actually is an owner or part owner of a whole bunch of different games as well, besides just those couple that we mentioned.
1: Okay, one more thing we want to talk about, and this is really annoying. Our friend Jim Dalrymple, ex of Macworld and The Loop, who has recently retired. Congratulations, Jim. He was ranting on Twitter yesterday that Apple has been putting ads into Apple Music playlists and some of Apple's radio stations. And it turns out this is true. I don't listen to any of these types of radio stations. I've never noticed them. But we'll link to an article on Apple Insider as well as a Macworld article that Jason Snell wrote today. And Jason pointed out that in some of these playlists of like new music, they put in these 45 or 60 second promos to try and get you interested in going to an interview and When he listens to them in shuffle mode, they just show up anywhere. Can you imagine that Like you're listening to a bunch of music and then you hear people talking? There used to be a technology that did that. What was it called? The radio? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. One of the things about this is that Apple has always touted Apple Music as ad-free in order to differentiate themselves from Spotify, which has a premium tier and an ad-supported tier. And if they're putting their own ads in, this kind of reminds me like when you go to the App Store on iOS and you type in some keywords and you get an Apple app that comes up at the top of the list. I find this a little bit annoying. Personally, I would be extremely unhappy if I heard ads on Apple Music. As I said, I'm not listening to the kind of things where there are ads. Well, and the other thing is, I I think at least for some tier of Apple Music,
2: it's supposed to be ad-free, right? Or is it all supposed to be ad-free? I'm not really sure. It's
1: all ad-free. It's all yeah. ad-free. There's no tier. So, so they say
2: it's ad-free,
1: and then they're putting basically
2: ads in there. I mean, they're, they're ads for Apple – interviews or whatever but it's still ads
1: now i think they have a term for this in radio they call them promos right so they're doing promos for their own shows and they're probably thinking these aren't ads these are promos to get you to listen to whatever dj is doing in an interview and stuff like that whatever it is steve jobs would never have allowed that <laughs> i know that that's a cliche to say something like that but steve jobs would never have allowed ads to come in in the music like that and while I'm on the subject of Steve Jobs, I want to mention a very interesting book I recently read called After Steve by Trip Mickle, a New York Times reporter. It's really fascinating. It looks at how Apple changed after Steve Jobs died and particularly about Johnny Ive and how he became disillusioned with Apple and finally left the company. And Apple has changed a lot. Steve Jobs would never allow ads on Apple Music. So next week, we'll be back to talk to you about all the new stuff
0: at WWDC. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com.